And this is across the board for immigrants. Um, and it's not, you know, unique to Irish or it's not unique to like even professional level. You know, a lot of people, they just want the opportunity to work hard, to prove themselves. You know, um, they're not looking for handouts or for, you know, they just want to prove what they can do. And they just want that opportunity, you know, to to do it. And I think that given half a chance that people can really even surprise themselves, maybe. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, we're both very busy and I know that you're up the walls as well. So I appreciate the time to chat and and to go over loads of um, fun, well, fun questions from me and and work for you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm happy to to be here to talk about it. It is my favorite topic, um, immigration. I know not everybody feels that way, but I actually do really enjoy talking about it. Oh, that's good because I have so many questions and I think anybody who has had a visa or is in limbo has like so many questions and it can feel so foreign to somebody who doesn't um, who doesn't necessarily know what options are on the table. Like it can just feel so, so out of reach, you know? Yeah, I definitely think it can. I feel like it can be a bit overwhelming. Um, I think that there is a lot of, unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, you know, Google is great for certain things. Um, medical advice and legal advice, though, I feel like should not. You know, you can do some research, but I wouldn't just rely on what somebody said in, you know, um, you know, a chat room or, or a listserv or something, because there could be something about your you know, one or two facts that might make your situation completely different. Um, yes, yeah. yeah. So that's just something. So to and that, that's yeah, that's definitely one of the things, and and it, that's the importance of actually having a lawyer. Because a lot of the questions, and if if anybody is listening that follows me on Instagram, I asked like a, to to ask some questions about what you'd like to ask a lawyer. But realistically, a lot of everyone's case is very different, and what matters what could be relevant for me could be so different for another person and you know and that's and that's the beauty of of working with a lawyer for these things because I've done so on um a couple of different occasions and every time the lawyer might spin it differently and and that's kind of the benefits that you have there so it's important to understand the the ins and outs and and to get everything on the table to discuss so what would be in your like I know that you cover so many different types of visas what would be the kind of main most common visas or cases that you work on or could you even could you even say there's there's a common visa that you work on um I would say over the past few years I mean I've been practicing for for over 12 years um and all I've done is immigration um and all I do every day all day long is immigration so to me actually that's a pretty important thing in looking for an attorney um it's a very complicated area of law um we've kind of seen how much it can change with really not like the underlying law, like the actual legislation has not changed, but the policy has changed. You know, the, the kind of climate has changed. And um, mm. I think it can be subject to a lot of flux depending on the administration, depending on the just the environment. And I think that my personal view that I think is held by a lot of my colleagues is that if you're going to practice immigration, you should do it exclusively. 
um, it's just the stakes are very high. You know, these are people's lives um, and I get it from a personal level because I have gone through the immigration process myself. So, um, you know, I think it's important that it's something that you really devote your career to um, if you want to help people in this type of area of law. You know, it's not something that you should be dabbling in. And, and likewise, you know, um, you want somebody who's kind of in that lane all day long. And even within immigration, there are kind of niche practice areas as well. I would say one of the things that we do a lot um, are the O-1 visa and then the green card version of the O-1 visa, which is the EB-1. Um, and over the past few years, I've actually, um, you know, been speaking to other immigration attorneys at our like national conference and kind of talking about trends and you know, kind of issues with O1s, kind of monitoring those as they change with the environment. Um, so I would say we do a lot of O1s and we do a lot of, you know, we have a lot of like kind of, um, I'd say graduate, recent, relatively recent graduates, Irish graduates who maybe are on the J1 and kind of looking for the next step as well. So it's pretty varied, I would say, though, across the board. So, um, yeah, here in our law firm, we we do a lot of O-1 visas um, and then the green card version of those, which is the EB-1 green card. Um, I have also, over the past, I'd say really two or three years, um, started to teach other immigration lawyers about the O-1 and the EB-1. And so I speak at our immigration lawyer conference, um, both on the, you know, kind of regional conferences and our national conference um, about that option, because you know, we can kind of see trends as they're coming in and kind of try to get ahead of the, the curve with regards to those types of things. Um, so that's one one case that we would work on quite a bit um, in various industries. And then we also help, you know, a lot, I would say, a lot of like recent graduate um, Irish, like let's say J1s that might be out in the US on that year long J1 visa. Um, and then though like they're looking for kind of the next um, step from there. So it's yeah. pretty varied, but that's another kind of common case that we would work on. And so the O one, right? Um, I I it has become so popular in the last couple of years, and obviously with the the whole this whole new world of of new media, there's more job opportunities in media, mm-hmm. and there's different ways to present yourself. You know, as a as an extraordinary ability candidate say and you know people are able to develop their own personal brand more so than they ever were before so I feel like you know me and my friends joke because a lot of us work in media we have the 01 and we say like oh you know it's like the wild west of visas because it truly <laughs> kind of like it kind of is so yeah. can you give us a quick breakdown because like again a lot of people ask about the 01 visa and um and I suppose why you're so passionate or, or why you've uh, decided to focus a lot of your work on the O one. Yeah, well, I mean, the O one is I love it because I feel like a lot of times people don't think of attorneys as being creative um, or, you know, kind of innovative or, you know, they have a different view of, of what lawyers and um, what they think lawyers are. But to me, I think that I I love being, you know, being able to really get my teeth stuck into an O1 case because I feel like it allows us to be really creative in ways of, you know, we're obviously using the evidence we have, but we're trying to tell a story mm-hmm. and we're trying to, you know, portray the, um, you know, the whole picture of the case. And for me, you know, we're selling this person to the federal government in a way that like, 
makes them want to approve the case, right? So that's the goal is to present. And I think that that goes for, you know, aesthetically, the case needs to look nice. It needs to be well presented. I think that the um, writing needs to be really clear. And, you know, you need to be able to show exactly how this person fits within this um, criteria. So for the O1, um, there's two different types of O1s. There's O1A, and then there's the O1B. Um, so the O1A is for people who are in business, who are in athletics, who are in um, uh, science, education, you know, those types of fields. Um, and then yeah. there's the O1B, which is basically the arts or TV or film industry. Um, and, and the arts can be pretty broad. So I think before you go anywhere, the first thing you need to think about is what are you extraordinary in? Okay, like what is your field of expertise? Um, and, you know, that's uh, when I'm kind of assessing people's, um, you know, kind of feasibility to fit into the O1. That's kind of the first place that we start, you know, and they'll say, oh, well, you know, I'm a an entrepreneur or I'm a social media, you know, influencer or something that's pretty broad. And you want to try and make it um you know, you want to define the field in somewhat of a narrow way. And this is kind of an art form in itself, right? Because you don't want it to be too broad that you're saying like entrepreneur, that all of a sudden you're compared to like Jeff Bezos or something, you know, but then (laughs) you don't want it to be like so narrow that you're like Irish entrepreneur in like just some really niche category, you know, and um when I was preparing for a presentation that I was giving to our immigration lawyers, we found this case where it was like the, the somebody had tried to define the field like it was something like uh, female, like sumo wrestling, like something really, really like specific. Um, and the judge had basically said like being top of a field of one is meaningless, right? So um, you don't want to be too broad, but then you also don't want to be too narrow. So it is a bit of an art form trying to kind of figure out what is your particular area of extraordinary ability. Yeah, and that kind of comes into hugely into play if you're somebody who has kind of different specialties, you know, like you might you might be you know, a, like have a huge social media influence, but you also might be an entrepreneur in like say tech or something, you know, there's, there's, yeah, yeah. there's so many different, that's why I call it the wild west of visas. <laughs> yeah, it's, there is an, oh, it's, I love that. I'm going to steal that term, but like that's <laughs> true because, but like, think about it though, in your job, right? We all wear a lot of hats. Like mm. I'm an attorney, right? But I'm also, I consider myself an activist and I also consider myself like a really strong advocate and I do media interviews and I would lobby on Congress and, you know, and we, I wear a lot of hats but they're all really, they all come back to my expertise as like an immigration attorney. And it just involves different, doing different things, but still kind of in my lane of what I do. And like, you can say the same for like an athlete, right? If they, if they're like a great, like rugby player, for instance, um, you know, they might, they might end up doing commentating, you know, they might end up, um, doing getting an endorsement for some type of like sports apparel brand um but it all boils back down to their extraordinary kind of persona as this like athlete um but I think that that is it's it's sometimes people get stuck on trying to figure out um how they would describe their extraordinary ability um and another thing that I feel like is I don't know I'm not going to say that it's specific to Irish people um 
but I find that it's very common with Irish people, maybe especially with Irish women, um, is that we we tend to downplay our achievements. Um, you know, we tend to say, oh, like, uh, you know, I'm okay. We're very humble to a fault, I think. And, oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about? It's like being humble to a fault. And, yeah. And like the O one is there's no space in that you know for that type of like humility when you're looking at the 01 and like you see Americans can be very confident and very assured of their ability and you know I think it's just the way we're brought up you know we're just the culture we're just used to going ah you know sure I'm okay at this or whatever you know and kind of like just downplaying things and I think for the 01 you're trying to sell yourself you know you're trying to do it at the you know at every stage along the way yeah. You're trying to show how you have this extraordinary ability. So I think it's important to, you know, even before you contact an attorney, just kind of reflect internally and go, you know, if I was to, you know, like imagine you were, you had a boss that you were trying to ask um, for a raise, you know, what are your, if you were to bullet point out your top like 15 or 20 things that you would say if you were trying to negotiate for you, you know, what would those be? And then that might help you focus on on the things that you're really good at and how you maybe differentiate say, differentiate yourself. Yeah. And but then also you have to think about the evidence supporting that as well. So I think it can it can save a lot of time for people who have no real understanding of the O one because the USCIS website can be a little bit um you know, confusing and you kind of look at it and go, well, that's a lot of text. You know, they explain the visas, but it's a lot of like inf- information. But with the old one, to your point, you look at, well, how would I tell my boss I, I want to raise? Like, what am I really good at? Like, what's my strongest portfolio? And where yeah. have I got evidence to back it up? With, is there somebody in the industry that can say, you know, she's deadly or, you know, she's just absolutely the best at this, you know, and, and bringing all that evidence together? Because, like it is a heavy visa, like there's so much evidence involved in it. And I would hate to downplay that, especially now that we're yeah. like specifically on that topic. And even coming from an Irish girl, a young Irish girl who's on her second one and like just being like, it's it's very, very difficult to to exaggerate and to stretch everything to say like, no, no, no. Like I'm the best. Like it's so hard. So I can totally relate yeah. to that. Like <laughs> yeah, it is. If people get uncomfortable doing it, yeah, and, yeah. You know, and um, but I do think that's a cultural thing, and I think that like, you know, ultimately at some point, if the case gets approved, you will be in an embassy or a consulate, and you know, if, if especially if you look young, like one of the scenarios we had put together in our presentation was. We called it the Peter Pan scenario where, you know, you get your your case approved and then you go in for your interview and he looks at you and he or she, the officer looks at you and you look really young and you're looking back and you have this approved one on paper. You know, you still need you need to sell yourself there in person. And so it is important that you believe in yourself as much as, you know, as I would as your attorney or whoever your attorney would be. Um, And, you know, the standard is high. It is a lot of work. but sometimes people get put off by the requirements on paper and sometimes people just don't realize, like, I think we wrote a blog post that was like, you may be more extraordinary than you think, you know, um, sometimes people are more extraordinary than, than they think. 
Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. And again, going back to that's just the beauty of working with a lawyer to be able to pull out those pieces and they say, well, have you got any of this? And have you got any of that? And you kind of say, well, yeah, but it's from like, you know, 2012. And they're like, well, that's great because that means you've been brilliant since 2012, you know, bring it on, you know? So yeah, it's 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 definitely worth, if you're thinking of it and, and you kind of have a little bit of self-reflection after exactly what you're saying, just think about it and see, if it's something that you think you might be able to fit into and speak to a lawyer, because it's um, it's it's definitely worth the shot. And I think there hasn't there's a lot of information on H1Bs and J1s and all that, but there's not so much information on the O1s um, yeah. historically. So, um, yeah. And to your point, we, you have a blog post on it as well. <laughs> yeah, actually, we, we set up a website specific for O1s and um, we haven't really promoted that much. It's called extraordinaryvisas.com. Um, and it highlights some of our clients and kind of some of the some of these uh, kind of pieces of evidence. And our goal is to really we have a blog there as well. I think that might be where the blog lives. Um, that other oh yeah, it does that other one, the other blog I mentioned. Um, but our goal is to at some point really break this down into like a series of like blog posts, like how, who could be my sponsor, you know, what does like what what's considered media for O one, and really kind of try to you know, help people unpack this um, in a way that hopefully helps them figure out whether or not it's a good fit for them, at least just from the surface. And then to obviously, you know, kind of talk to somebody, a professional to to then explore it further. Yeah. And, and just before we leave off on the O1s, or it might come up in conversation again, but you do need either like it's a petitioner. So like a company that you might be working for, or you have an agent. So you do need somebody to represent um the visa it, it, it's it's not self-petitioned yeah isn't that correct oh, yeah that's correct although you can set up a you company, it's possible yeah. to set up a company too and I like doing it that way because I think it gives people a little bit more flexibility to work when um you know so there's ways to again like it's not um and this is specifically allowed as well you can't self-petition but you can have an ownership in a company that sponsors you for the visa as well um, and so and so that is a good option. But yeah, there's just a lot of, I think, confusion. Um, and I think other even immigration attorneys are confused by who can act as a sponsor and who's the employer and what if there's agents and what if, you know, and so it just can be complicated. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's why we pay you guys. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why we've been doing this for so long. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the J1. Because again, when I put this out on Instagram, this is the biggest deal. So many people are stuck in a pickle um, with the J1. And then, you know, we're talking about, you know, coronavirus times right now. But in normal times, a J1, people go on whether it's the the year J1, they come in the summer, I believe, or there's the J1, the trainee, which is 18 months. And typically mm-hmm. that's done without a lawyer. They just do it with um, use it or whatever it might be at home. Yeah. Um, and then they, they get over to the States and they're like, oh, my God, I don't want to ever go home. Um, so what kind of options are the easiest routes for them or any options on the table that you might discuss with your clients after the J1? So one of the biggest questions that a lot of people were asking me was about the J1. Um, And I know people are in the pickle with the J1 and and in this current coronavirus climate. But on normal terms, it's always still a big question on the table. I've done my J1. I've been over in the US for, you know, 
whatever months it might be and it's coming to an end and as you said at the start j1s are typically one of your biggest uh, queries that come through the door so what ta- what options would you put on the table to present to um people on a j1 for their next steps yeah i mean this we and um, look i get it because i came here on a, a j1 myself initially through ucd through an ex- it was a different type of j1 it was an exchange student one back in 2002 um, for a year so I totally get the whole coming here falling in love with you know wherever you are and just kind of wanting to stay um, and so for me I went back home finished in UCD and then came back out later to two years later to go to law school here Um, so my path was a little different but um, I I appreciate that and I know I can see I know exactly why people want to stay on but what I would say is I feel like when you're coming towards the end of your J1 you know, that's almost too late to start thinking about what's next, you know, because um, a lot of of options are not immediate. So, you know, it's something that requires a bit of advanced planning. um, And depending on your J1, you know, like you said, you could be on the summer J1 for, you know, three or four months. um, You could be on the J1 trainee for a longer period of time like 18 months or the graduate which I know people don't like we're not supposed to call it the graduate J1 it's the Irish work and travel program but it's a lot of people refer to it as the graduate J1 um you know so you you need to kind of think about this from I'd say earlier on in the process um and the path that we I guess the bad news is that there aren't tons of options there are not loads of different options available so that's the bad news um the good news is that there may be some and the earlier you kind of look into them, the better it would be. Um, obviously, the O1 is from J1 to O1 is an option. Um, it Maybe not that common, though. Um, you know, sometimes it can be hard to to demonstrate the springboard from like J1, like, you know, postgraduate to to O1. But it's not it's not impossible. Um you know, and I know certain people have definitely done that. Um, it just, again, very much like fact specific other options though and um, the h1b visa is an option um and so that's for people who whose job requires a bachelor's degree in a specific field um there's lots of pros and cons to the h1b i would say the biggest um con is that it's limited in number so um there's a lottery system every year and they're only available once a year and um, this year though the lottery kind of system changed so um, I think that maybe there were lower barriers to entry because you could just go into the electronic lottery initially um, and then kind of see if, if you got selected and you still need an employer to be willing to sponsor you and all that. Um, that's one of the cons, though, is that the limited availability of the H1B. Um, so was that was did that happen in April then, that lottery? Yeah. OK, yeah, so you're... well, it was March. It was like March. The, so the, so. Normally, what used to happen was we would file all the case, the new H-1B cases on during the first week in April. So we would physically file, you know, the packet and everything else to the government. And then they changed it. And so what they decided to do was an electronic submission um, a month earlier in March. So from for the first, I think it was March 1st to 20th, everybody filed their electronic registrations. Um and then from those, they, they did a randomly generated um, lottery. And then if your if your number got picked, you essentially got the opportunity to file your case. So um, it looked a little different. And we have some clients that were on J ones, a couple actually, um, and got selected in the lottery. So it does happen. 
Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so that's one thing. The only the other thing though about the H one B visa is that the denial rating has skyrocketed. Um, it used to be, I'd say less. I think it was like five or six percent of den- of new H one Bs were denied. Now it's over thirty percent. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So one third in new H1B cases are getting denied. I would argue most of them erroneously denied. Um, there was actually just our immigration lawyers are involved in like a class action lawsuit against the administration because, um, you know, we're just people are getting fed up of these denials that we don't think are, are you know, are, are correct and legally. And so oh, people are suing. Yeah. Sure, so people are like, yeah, well, it's not, so it's not me. Although I have had situations where I, we've had a few denials. We don't get a huge amount of denials really at all, thankfully. Um, But, you know, the few that we've had, it's a discussion that you have with your clients where you say, well, you know, our option is to sue the government if that's something you'd be willing to do. Um. A lot of clients are quite reluctant to do that. Yeah, they're afraid that it'll put a target on their back or whatever. But actually, a lot of the reports and the stats that we have show that it actually has the opposite effect. And what happened in this this recent um kind of litigation was that the the so the lawsuit was filed and then um essentially the government ended up um taking those the previously denied cases back and approving them. Um, on because of the lawsuit that was filed. Okay, so just so if you don't get your visa, just sue them. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> Pretty that's, much. That's, no, no, that's that's a really good insight now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, a tool. it's like we can't because, like, when you think about it, there's been no change in the law, right? So nothing has actually changed. There's been no legislation change. Like there was. Regulations changed about the lottery, but the actual standard of like what a H1B is supposed to be, it's like this specialty occupation, right? That's the the what we're trying to prove is that the degree the position requires a degree in a specific field. Um, and so that the definition of that has not changed. However, like how do we explain that the denial rating went from five percent to over thirty something percent with no change in the law? But um, so when they come back, when you say denial, they come back as a denial, but they don't, they don't say RFE. It's not a request for their evidence. Well, it's normally denied following a request for evidence. Right. So, so normally, is that, yeah. is, that re- is there a commonality with that request for evidence? Is there, are they saying, is there like a common reason for denial or I don't know what they might call it, or is it just kind of all over the board? No, the reason is always pretty honestly copied and pasted. Um, and that's, I think, the frustrating part um, from our point of view. And this right. is kind of why people are suing, because we're like, ah, this is, you're not, you know, you're just copying from a template. Um, and so it's just like, oh, there's no, um, you know, th- this position is not a specialty occupation. I mean, we've been getting requests for evidence to prove that like engineers need degrees in specific fields, you know, and it's like, I mean, really, you know, and then now there's talk that the USAIS is running out of money because they're, I think their resources are being used in places that really is just not making for an efficient, you know, way to run the, the agency. When you think of all these crazy requests for evidence that we're getting, you know, and we're having to submit like hundreds and hundreds of pages back in response. And somebody has to, I hope, review those. Um, and so, so yeah, so that's the kind of thing that we're seeing. It's the request for evidence, the standard denial, just like kind of 
concluding that the position is not a specialty occupation and therefore H1B is, you know, is is denied. Um, but I guess the point is, not everybody's going to want to sue, but I guess the point is that, you know, um, it's not a one size fits all. There are creative advocacy um, avenues that you can take. Um, and this is kind of at every stage in your case, you know, before, during, after, you know, you need to kind of think outside the box and look at things um, just in, in a different light, given, you know, not just the coronavirus, but just the climate in which we're living. I think you just need to look at things in a different way. And to be, yeah, to be savvy, to kind of curate your evidence around that, I suppose. Yeah, just to like really be comfortable with your representation and, you know, and your knowing that, you know, you are also being your own advocate as well. You know, that you're being your own best and zealous advocate, um, I would say, is just really key. Yeah. Um, and, and what about the J1 to the J1 graduate to the trainee? If that's Can you do that anymore? I think they, they nix that. Yeah, I don't think so. The way J1s work, as you mentioned, they don't normally go through attorneys like us. And that's because you need like a third party agency to approve essentially the J1 program. And then they issue that form that people use that DS 2019. That is done directly. So essentially, like the third party agency, whatever it is, use it or, you know, the triple IC in Boston. Oh, actually, I think they they rebranded to I think it was the Rian Center. Um. But anyway, you go through an agency and and they're kind of like the gatekeepers between the J1 and you ending up at the embassy for your interview. And I think that they have stopped issuing or approving back-to-back J1s or kind of switching from one to another. Um, so I don't think that that is a feasible option for people, um, at least as far as I can see that that's not happening anymore. Um, but another option that I think is great and I think there's a lot of confusion around this and a lot of misconceptions that make people just not consider it is that um, the employer sponsored green card so um, an employer a US employer is able to sponsor an employee or a prospective employee so somebody that they want to hire down down the line for a green card Um, and there's like a very specific process that we can go through depending on kind of what the position is Um, and a lot of people think and I just don't know how this got started, but I hear it all the time. People think oh, I have to be on a H-1B for a certain amount of time and then I can go to green card or, you know, they just people think that that's the path, I think. Um, but actually, you don't even need to go on a H-1B at all. You know, in theory, you could go from J1 if timing was right and everything, you know, potentially go to a green card. Um, now processing times are are long, and so there might it might not be possible to have a seamless transition from HJ one to green card. But um, I would really explore that employer sponsored green card. Um, if you have a company that's willing and that wants to keep you or hire you if you're abroad. Um, and so and I personally love this option because I this is how I got my green card many, many, many years ago when I finished law school here, a company, a law firm sponsored me for a green card through this way. Um, so yeah. I just love being able to help other people go through this process as well. And I think with the if I'm remembering correctly, the employee green cards, once you file, you're kind of just you're, you don't have to wait for an approval to come around. Would that be correct? 
So it's a multi-step process, right? And so normally this is called, this is called the PER, the one I'm speaking of now is called, there's loads of different types of green cards. Um, and you might hear the term EB, you know, EB1, EB2, EB whatever. And the EB stands for employment-based. Um, and it's contrasted with getting a green card, let's say through a family member, which is known as the FB, the family-based route. So when you hear EB, just think it's, you know, an employment kind of type green card. Um, so the one that I'm talking of right now is is where, um, how the, it's known as the PERM process, where the employer essentially recruits in the in the market to show that um, that there's no U.S. workers available for for the position and that they want to hire this person for for the job. Um, and so to your question, though, the important timelines are not necessarily the eventual approval of the green card, because that does take a while, but it's getting to get it on file is is key. Um, and so it's a, just a multi-step process, but I think that having somebody explain how this would work in practice for you and for your company, for the company that would be willing to sponsor you, um, should should definitely be considered if there's a will and a desire there on both um, sides. And it also can be done, the whole process can be done while somebody is abroad. Um, so it could be like if it's a future job offer. So you could be abroad, you know, and, and, and if you knew a company here that wanted to hire you, potentially you could explore this option and not even go to any temporary option, come straight in on a green card um, if if things worked out. Yeah. And is it is it a beast like in terms of evidence and documentation needed? Not really. I mean, so the thing about immigration options is that the inquiry and the evidence and the requirements are all different depending on the particular option that you're going for. Um, so like the O1, right, it's the extraordinary ability. The H1B, it's that like specialty occupation, that like degree in a specific field. For this green card, the one that I'm talking about now, it is it is um, recruiting in the market to show that there's no US worker available, right? It's you're getting a labor search to show this is the position, these are the requirements, um, and and there's nobody available to fill this role. And then and then later on, we prove that the individual that you want to hire meets the requirements. Um, so it's more that type of analysis um, versus like having a mountain of evidence to show why you're the best at the job. You know, it's not that. It's, just, it's a different type of um, process. Yeah. And so the requirements are different, but it's mainly like focused on this recruitment um, and testing the labor market and, and kind of going down that road. Okay. A very interesting. I hadn't, yeah, uh, I, I hadn't thought about that one really. I mean, like I knew of it, but I, as, as you said in the beginning, I really thought that you had to be on a certain, you had to be in the U S for like five years or something before you. Yeah. Can everybody thinks that. I feel like we now <laughs> we need to just dispel that myth. Um, it's like, Honestly, so many people feel like they have to, yeah, like that oh, I have to be here for a certain period of time or I have to be in my second H1B or, I mean, just today we got a, one of these labor certs approved for somebody who'd previously been in um, on a J1. And like I said, there might not always be a seamless transition. You know, you might have to go back to Ireland, work or wherever you're from, work remotely for a while. Um, you know, it might not be plan a directly to plan b um but the way i like to explain immigration to people is that you need to have like a short-term plan um a medium-term plan and like a long-term plan and sometimes you know your ideal plan um 
you know, might not work out. You might not get picked in the H1B lottery. You know, you might not, for whatever reason, you know, things might not go your way um, through no fault of anybody's just, you know, maybe like availability of, of H1Bs or something like that. So it is important to have, I think, various options if you can and like think of them in different stages. Um, because while you might want a green card, you know, straight away, you know, that might not be, that's not going to be possible. No green card can be done that quickly. So you need to kind of think of them in in your your options, I think, in, in various stages. Just the, the fact that it is, it is hard to think about short term, medium term, long term, you know, like. Yeah it's it can be difficult for somebody to know to know their plans but but I I've never heard of looking at immigration that way you know and and to think because it's like I per like and you can disagree with me but I personally think that the J1 is like outdated and I'm not an immigration lawyer but I feel like it's outdated it for what it is and I feel like it's very hard to like get here and get a job and and in the timeline that they need to need you to get a job especially if you're in a big Mm. city like New York like it's very hard to get a job so quickly and then to have very little on the table to your point when you're finishing the J or the J1 you know and and they don't and how do you prove somebody who's just after coming out of college is is an extraordinary ability and 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 is going to get an 01 like you know it's it's kind of like I appreciate that they're there, but I think that it's it's set up very difficult, very difficult for the people who are getting them, you know, and if you're happy to come over for a year and say like, oh, I tried it and, you know, you wash your hands of, of the US and go home, but it, mm. it can be it can be tough. And I think a lot of people are going on the J1s. I know I was had no intention of staying after 18 months. And then, of course, yeah. like that's just then you just want to stay like the minute you get here, you just never want to go home. <laughs> Yeah, no, I definitely can, um, you know, relate to that. Absolutely. Um, But I think, you know, the issue is that there just aren't a huge amount of like short term options. And so, um, you know, that's why kind of future flow of like Irish immigrants into the US, I think is important. And that's why so the, the J1, that like graduate J1 is is specific to to Ireland um, there was a um, the Irish government works with the Department of State to like specifically get that um, it's a modification of the existing um, J1 intern and it basically allows Irish people to come over without a job offer um, to get one within 90 days of arrival um, and it is tough but at the same time you know Irish people have that option um, that other people you know necessarily yeah don't necessarily have so it is good in that respect um but no look I agree with you I think that um it it can be it's I recognize how tough it is um and but I think the J1 does it is still important and I think it's still for a lot of people they they because I know how great um you know I can see how motivated and like I've seen it in my own firm like having like we have some J1s um working for us and you know like I just appreciate their um determination and you know their our education system is great and so you know really good workers and smart and you know passionate and very willing to be helpful and so sometimes people just want to get their foot in the door and make a good impression and I think that employers really appreciate that and so you'd be surprised the lengths that employers are willing to go to to 
you know to keep somebody that they like and that's a good worker it's not easy to find really a great like team and so you know, I do think that it is a nice way to allow people to get their foot in the door, although it is not perfect. Um, no, but yeah. And I mean, no visa probably is, but it, I, I totally agree with that. And anybody who's listening as well is that like, you're totally right in saying that you would be surprised how, you know, how much people would go and how much employers would go to, to, uh, keep you on, you know, yeah, I think definitely. It's, it's, um, it is it is an interesting kind of um way to in, it's an interesting insight because I think in Ireland you, you might not have that mindset and that goes back to the modesty of our culture and everything else and you don't think that you're good enough or you think that you're you know you can be easily replaced but I think if you get in yeah. the door with your J1 you prove your status and that's kind of what I did like the company that I went with my J1 and that I I got in on my J J1 visa like they kept me on you know and they yeah they got me the O1 like you know so it's it's um it is, it can, it can work, you know, as you said, in your favor and the Irish education system is, is, uh, always spoken in high regard. So that's always like complimentary to the U S as well, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I do, I really genuinely see that. And I see that, like, I know myself, like somebody was willing to, you know, go that extra mile for me. I'm willing to do that for, you know, my staff as well. And I see it with my clients every day. You know, I think that like we, and this is across the board for immigrants. Um, and it's not, you know, unique to Irish or it's not unique to like even professional level. You know, a lot of people, they just want the opportunity to work hard, to prove themselves. You know, um, they're not looking for handouts or for, you know, they just want to prove what they can do. And they just want that opportunity, you know, to to do it. And I think that given half a chance that people can really even surprise themselves, maybe. Yeah totally and that's the thing it's like it's and I know myself and yourself were talking about this and how you know they're they're cutting down on visas and to your point they they've increased the the um the denial rate for the h1bs and everything else but like there's no irish people over here trying to just sit on like benefits like yeah <laughs> you know we're workers <laughs> yeah exactly i mean you definitely don't decide to emigrate to america from ireland to like sit on the welfare you know system no, you or, get better you know, at home. It, it would be a, an odd decision um, so but yeah, but that's like my experience with immigrants just across the board. And that's why I get really offended and really upset when I hear a lot of the anti-immigrant rhetoric because it's not reflective of the clients and the immigrants that I see. And I don't have, I, my experience in that is not unique. I would say that like it's most, all immigration attorneys would probably agree with me Um you know, and that it's the immigrants that we know and that we, um that know and love and and like that's the whole kind of essence of America isn't it it's that you you come and you work hard and you get the opportunity to prove yourself here um and I think that we we kind of need to fight for that ideal because I think it's that whole idea of the American dream I think is has become pretty fragile um but I think you know we owe it to current and future immigrants you know to try to protect that where where we can there's the is is he the like captain of like New York Police Department? He's like an Irish guy. 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I can't remember his God. I can't remember his name, but yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, and it, like I never, until I spoke to you, like I never thought of it that way. In a sense that it was, you know, there is so many Irish Americans and Irish, like even the way that like the White House is lit up for St. Patrick's Day, like that just kills me because it's like on the back end, you know, and they're trying to cut down on like Trump wants to get rid of the J ones, and like it's just you know, it's it's kind of like almost contradictory all the time. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And it, it actually, my blood will start to boil now. It'll be like, um, as I start to talk about this, I can just feel, I should look at the heart rate on my Apple Watch to see how I could go <laughs> when I talk about these things. Because I, I get very passionate about it. But look, I think that, um, you know, the Irish immigrants that came, you know, all throughout history um, are to me very similar to the migrant families that we see trying to enter the US today at the southern border. Um, I think that it's a shame that other people don't see those parallels. Um, you know, when you think about it, the families are Irish people came before they were not educated. They were on like coming from horrendous conditions. They were, you know, maybe fleeing. um you know conditions in their home country that were not ideal that's why they're com- they were coming here um you know some of them might have had illnesses and whatever across you know depending on how they ended up coming here and they came though for the opportunity right to work hard and they were allowed to prove themselves and we see that now mm. in it's reflective in like look how many Irish American like judges and lawyers and like you said captains of police departments and look at the administration there's a lot of people in the administration with Irish last names and um you know I think Mike Pence didn't he have relatives anyway a lot of people have um claims to Irish like ancestry and to me it is very hypocritical to shut the door on immigrants now um, while also simultaneously kind of celebrating your own Irish heritage. There's something that really does not sit right with me in in that. And I feel like, you know, I recognize that I have a very privileged position um, because I'm a US citizen now. So I think people are afraid, honestly, to speak out about things. Um, but I'm not. And I think that, you know, this is where you can use your voice in ways to to kind of be effective and advocate for people. Um but then also like the Irish immigrant privilege is definitely a thing as well. Mm, yeah. You know, it's a different experience really. Yeah. And one of the quotes that you are, one of the stories that you had shared me with me, um, I just want to quote it here because um, I just thought it was very interesting. Um, and I'll, I'll put this in the credit in the description box uh, to credit these um the source, but it says 35 million Americans of Irish descent who contribute every day to all facets of life in the United States. And then the other, there was another quote that says, America was never designed to take care of people who built it or even give them their due. And that harsh truth has never been more apparent for the estimated 4.5 million immigrants who live, work and pay taxes here without formal authorization. Like it's, it's, it's a touchy subject and I know that's a different conversation, but I, I think that's, you know, I like, I just appreciate kind of the the conversations that you've been having around that and, and that you're not afraid to speak out about it. And I think it's, you know, I think it's important and it will take people like yourself to really make a change and, and to continue making differences in that, in that space, you know? Yeah. And thanks for reading those quotes. And I feel like, you know, it is, um, 
I just feel like I have a duty to try to, you know, um, and all this, all the advocacy and media stuff honestly happened to, to me. The main, it mainly started from at the airport at O'Hare on that first day of the travel ban when I was there as a volunteer attorney and this man came up to me who's US citizen baby and green card holding wife had been detained for hours upon end. Um, and they were originally from Iran and they were caught up in that like first travel ban. And like, to be honest, I had come through O'Hare Airport myself with my two kids coming back from Ireland only two weeks before. So this was like the towards the end of January. And like this man is looking at me like going, are my wife, are they going to be allowed in? And I'm thinking there is a mom in there with a baby. First off, the child is a US citizen. Secondly, the mom is a green card holder. Um, And I just was like, this is so wrong. Like I remember getting off like the Aer Lingus flight and my kit was so stressful. And I had my husband with me and it was a long, it wasn't as long as their flight, but it was a long, you know, flight. And anyone who's flown with kids, I think understands how stressful that can be, you know. And like, the, you just want to come home and put the kids to bed and get them in their pajamas. And I just thought this poor woman is there being detained for no reason other than what I thought was and what I still think was unconstitutional um, ban, Muslim ban. And so it was kind of at that time where I started doing an interview on the spot. I didn't want to at all. That was the last thing I wanted to do. But I felt like I had to. And I thought like, God, what would I do if I was in that situation? And I needed somebody to like, they couldn't, they didn't have a voice, just they literally were det- being detained. Um, but I was out there and was able to to advocate. And so that's kind of when I feel like a light switch just kind of changed for me. Um, and it's kind of been 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 on ever since, um, just with regards to a lot of the things that have been happening, you know, since then. Yeah, that's it's very interesting. It's hard to, to see it for yourself. Um, and the, you've been also working on the E3, which is another topic that came up a lot um, yeah. And for a long time, you've been working on the E3. I think people think that this E3 visa is, is kind of something new. But can you tell us a bit about what you've been um, doing in, in terms of getting the E3 yeah. available? Yeah, yeah. So the E3, um, for those who don't know what it is, so it's, E3 is is the Australian version of the H1B, basically. Um and so kind of all this came up over the years, you know, the Irish um, government, Irish ministers, the Taoiseach, whomever is here would come and visit. And we'd have meetings and we'd talk about, you know, we run the pro bono um, clinic here for one of the Irish nonprofits. Um, and so, you know, we'd kind of talk about things that we're seeing on the ground, issues with like, let's say, undocumented Irish or, you know, J1s or whatever the case may be. But then also this idea of like future flow you know, what are we going to, is there anything we could do to try to make sure that um that future, you know, the relationship between Ireland and the US, the strong relationship continues. Um, And there are other countries that have a specific visa for for it, between it and the US. Um, so it's not like we're trying to go rogue and just kind of get something specific for Irish. Like, for example, um, Canada and um, Mexico have a TN, which is like a professional level visa for for their citizens. Um, then um, Chile, Singapore, they have their own versions of the H1B that was done through a treaty. And then Australia has its own version as well. And so the idea was to try to see um, whether or not in recognition of honestly, the two way street, um, you know, Yes, there are, are American companies in Ireland, um, but also Irish companies in the US employ a lot of people here. 
Mm. Um, and it is a very special two, two, two-way relationship. Like we are the only country, I think, that gets like the, you know, its own kind of day in the White House. Um, and so it was just trying to make sure that um, that like Irish immigrants are able to come, to continue to come to the US because we have seen really low number, you know, just we don't have that like that particular option that's available and um, like for instance those other countries so anyway the idea was to try to see whether or not we could um look at the e3 and that's the one that's specific to australia so there's 10,000 of them available every year um, and australia only uses like up like half of them basically every year so um the irish government had worked really hard to try to see whether we could get the extra you know the surplus that australia didn't use um and then there's an irish um former the first senator for the irish diaspora is a, a, an amazing man by the name of senator billy lawless here based in chicago he's been just such a fantastic mentor to me and just a great example of just being an advocate for all immigrants not just for the irish um but I know he worked really hard on this as well. And John DC, there was like a special envoy. So basically it was to try to see whether we could get this, the extra E3s essentially for, for Irish. And um, it, it's come pretty close on multiple occasions, um, but never didn't quite get over the line. Um, so we'll see. Look, I know that there is still a very much, I think, a um a desire there to try to keep going for that. Um and again, I think it was supposed to be like there was going to be kind of a reciprocal nature to it so that Americans would be able to go to Ireland and also, you know, work. The de- all the details hadn't been, hadn't been obviously solidified, um, but that was the idea. Um, so I don't think anyone's giving up on it. Um, and I think that that's still hopefully one of the aims um, going forward. Yeah, and it sounds like, um, you know, with, even though there is um, denial rates increasing for the H1B, it sounds like we, the Irish do have kind of an advantage over the rest of, maybe the rest of the world in terms of visas. Would that be right? Like, is there kind of more of a specialty agreement with, with, the, with the Irish because of the connection to the US? No, I mean, there, I guess if we got the E3, we would. Um, but otherwise, yeah. no. Um, okay. And otherwise, you know, we're seeing that's kind of like the issue is that we're we're getting, we're not getting a lot of Irish people coming out to the US. And I think that we've seen how beneficial that can be when that happens. And just to try to, you know, kind of, um, like I said, there are other countries that have their own allotment of kind of working visas. And it was to try to get something similar um, for for Ireland. Yeah, and then the the investor one um, is the E2, is it? Oh, yeah, the E2, yeah. yeah. So the E2, again, also based on a treaty. Lots of different countries have E2 treaties with um, with the US. So um, if the idea is that if you are coming to either um, set up a new business or purchase an existing business, you are eligible to potentially apply for the E2. Um, there's lots of different requirements, but you essentially you need to make an investment into the company. Um, there's no like minimum by law, but you're probably looking at um, 100,000 perhaps. Um, and the idea would be that, you know, the visa would um, enable you to come to the US, but the goal is that the company would will have a positive economic benefit to, to the US. So, you know, showing that there's a plan to um, hire people here, 
um, you know, showing what the financial projections would be. And to be honest, I think that this is going to be super important going forward because yeah. I think that small businesses are honestly the backbone of any small to medium sized businesses are the backbone of any economy. Um, we need people to come with ideas for creating jobs to invigorate the economy. And um, we have a lot of clients in E2 um, status um, in, in all different kind of industries, but like a lot in the restaurant hospitality sector, you know, I know they're suffering terribly right now, but um, a lot of even like software technology companies, um, you know, it, it, there's they don't have to be, um, there's no industry like specific. So it can be in a broad range of industries. And so for me, that's it. Now, it might not be feasible for somebody who's like a recent graduate. They might not have, you know, a hundred grand sitting around to invest. <laughs> um, but you may be able to get loans and stuff like that. And it's obviously, like I said, it's not going to be an option for for everybody. Um, but it is an option for some people. And it's also, also some Irish companies have like E2 status and they can bring over Irish employees and they do. So um, is, there, is there a limit on that. the amount that they can bring over? No, there's not a limit. So essentially, you're you're the company is kind of getting the E two status, and then you need to show that the any employee that you want to bring over actually does not have to have worked for a company the company abroad. So it can be a new hire, and um, but you need to show that they're either going to be in a managerial or an executive type position. You know, like CEO or like managing. You know, um, kind of a, a team. Okay. Um, or, or that that's going to be the plan coming over, let's say, to hire and, and manage or that they have essential skills. So um, that can be, you know, uh, something that you can work on where you can show, you know, sometimes we work with people who might have um, like, let's say, an account, an Irish accounting background or it could be even legal background. And they want to come here to work with companies where there's like a mixture of both that need to be applied and because of this kind of unique knowledge and background they would be able to to kind of um work and, and kind of make the argument that they're essential that they have essential skills that are not readily available um so yeah the e2 can be a great option you apply directly at the embassy um which for me is always a good thing when you can do that because you you kind of you don't have to go through the uscis here um so and that that's actually the E three would be similar to that. You don't need to file the case here with the USCIS. And um, why why is that? You could apply. It's just procedurally they're over the jurisdiction of the Department of State, so um they're not like they're not considered petition based cases. So um anything that's like petition based, meaning H one B petition, O one petition, um what else? Like any of the H's are kind of petition based and um, they need to be filed with the USCIS first and then you get that approval and then you go in for your embassy interview. Um, whereas the E2, the E3, um, those ones, the J1 is a good example as well. You go straight to the embassy and apply there. So yeah, they just work okay. differently from a procedural point of view. Um, but look, I mean, bypassing the USCIS is, is, is like <laughs> legally bypassing them procedurally even if you wanted to file any, yeah like even if you wanted to file one you couldn't you know like you couldn't file a j1 with the usbs even if you wanted to um so but it, it might not be the worst thing you know having to kind of skip that part of the process i hope um, they're not listening not to, <laughs> yeah it's not to say that like it's um and do you know what they publish statistics and their statistics speak for themselves with regards to their denial ratings and their requests for evidence ratings um 
And look, it's not to say that like the embassy is a walk in the park either. It's not. But, um, you know, I think that we it you kind of you're dealing with like at least in the e visa unit like a team who are there they are specifically working on the e2 cases um and so you know they're kind of like used to this type of case and they're kind of used to seeing you know they know the lie of the land in ireland or wherever the post is um so it is just a little different versus filing a case in an office in california that goes god knows where that somebody is reviewing like stacks of cases it's just a little different so um so yeah yeah very interesting right well I want to move on to some um smaller questions I suppose um that I got in from Instagram and the first one is so J1s going back to the J1s they were Mm. they were locked in to come over I think it's around this time of year and obviously with uh, coronavirus and things have changed What's the outlook for for them? They're they're currently under a ban right now, I think. Yeah. So I mean, oh, oh I don't know. The thing about it is, uh, there's so all the embassies and consulates have pretty much been closed, so they're not processing any any new ones. Um, so they haven't people haven't been able to get in for an interview. So I would assume this person or whoever asked this question hasn't even had their J one interview. Um, so I would just watch this space. You know, another thing that we're seeing is just talk of trying to limit legal immigration kind of further. And, you know, a couple of Republican senators have been urging the President Trump to look at different options. And he, Trump himself, I think I was discussed about the J1, you know, was not, didn't seem to be a huge fan of the J1 before. So um, I think we just have to watch this space, unfortunately, with J1s. But I know that the Irish government is, um feels pretty strongly about the J1 um and I think that like now forgive I might be wrong about this but I thought like they had some stat about how many Irish presidents had been on the J1 program themselves um just to kind of show the historical cultural significance of that program to Ireland um so I think a lot of people really care a lot about the J1 visa so hopefully it will come back in the not so distant future they should cancel all this. They should ban any celebrations in the White House for, for St. Patrick's Day. Oh, yeah. Well, that is something that people feel bringing the shamrock is a big deal, you know? And it was like, it was like no matter what happens, people still wanted to be able to bring the shamrock to the White House. Yeah, um, yeah. People were afraid that if we lost it, we'd never get it back. And because we're the only country that, you know, I have my own personal views on that with everything that was going on right now. But I think that from a diplomatic relations point of view, I think it was pretty important. Yeah. Um, to, to Yeah, but we'll see. Yeah, and so you answered my my second question, which was the processing time. So right now, um, I think that they're the USCIS are processing, but you can't get your interview. So if you're in the US, then your 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 visa might be processed, but it won't you won't get your interview to actually enter the country if you're outside of the US. Yeah, so like we've had multiple. Oh, one day we had three oh one cases approved by the USCIS during the pandemic, which was a great day for us. Um, Amazing. Yeah, it was great. But yeah, those clients were abroad and they had they have not been able to go in for their interview here yeah. um, in the embassy abroad. So we just have to wait and see. But they're over, I think, arguably the biggest hurdle of the O1, which is that USCIS filing. Um, but uh, processing times, though, have been increasing across the board for years. 
Um, and there has been a lot of advocacy to try to have some accountability on the USCIS end. Um, and so I was actually talking to a reporter earlier on today about there was a bill that was going through the House. Um, I was there in, in D.C. in March and our bar association, AILA, the American Immigration Lawyers Association, was really highlighting this bill because it was bipartisan support and it was a way to hold the USCIS accountable for what we were seeing as skyrocketing processing times. Um, so previously the processing times were high. So I can only imagine what it's going to do to, you know, the coronavirus, COVID, whatever, every, all the shutdowns I think are going to have an impact. Um, and then just one thing to note about processing times is that um, the expedited premium processing um, has been on hold right now but bear in mind you know that's hopefully a temporary measure so by the time you're listening to this it might already be lifted um, yeah but yeah just a couple of kind of topical current things to note about processing time yeah that's that's on hold for is it just the foreseeable until they decide to lift I don't think there was a there was an allocation of time for the yeah there wasn't no but like to me it's just a no-brainer to bring it back I mean I just read an article in the New York Times there the other day that saying that the USCIS is like looking for funding because they're running out of of money they make more money I mean this to me is just a no-brainer revenue just from a purely revenue generating point of view and also how many of my clients would really want it to come back you know um it's it's just a no-brainer way to get extra funds so hopefully it's it's resumed but no as of yet I haven't seen a particular date um so and look you know what we've seen is that normally things are done with not a lot of notice they're almost like effective immediately so Mm. um you know maybe this is one time that we want that to happen we want like oh it's back tomorrow you know and so that effective immediately then but yeah as of now we haven't seen when it's coming back but hopefully soon yeah, and that's what made the that's what they did it when they they paused it. They just said, "Oh, it's effective tomorrow," and everybody just yeah. freaked out. So yeah, hopefully they'll do that yeah. again to bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the one time we want them to just make things like you know with no notice and effective straight away. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, some people asked about um, and this is again particular to this time about um benefits and and unemployment or um any sort of government or benefits that people might be trying needing to lean on right now or you know things happen people's you know life yeah. tragedies everything else and and uh kind of un- unexpected circumstances is there a, is there a general rule around benefits um in the US or is it just kind of a very gray area yeah I would say this is tricky so yeah. number one a lot of like unemployment and things like that can be very much a state specific thing right unlike immigration that's federal like so um just for purposes of people that are listening so immigration federal meaning it's the same all throughout the US and um, federal laws that regulate it and um, some things are done statewide like unemployment there's different state taxes and so it's kind of like Ireland versus the EU you know certain things the EU regulates certain things Ireland regulates um so unemployment and eligibility therefore are kind of state specific things but just as as a general rule it can be pretty tricky to get unemployment and ill-advised if you're not a green card holder or a U.S. citizen um it depends on what visa you're on really but um and there's been a lot of discussion about this amongst our bar association. But like if you're in H1B status and you get laid off, you know, 
your to get unemployment benefits, at least here in Illinois, you're supposed to show that you're eligible for work. And if you don't have a visa that allows you to work for any employer, then that's, you know, are you actually eligible to, to work? Yeah, um, yeah. And so I'd say it's tricky, but like use caution, like warning, warning when you try to look, if you're looking at one of those um, benefits. Another kind of hot topic in immigration is this public charge rule, which is a new rule that was um went into effect there in February. And it basically penalizes immigrants um on a long term basis. So in the future for taking public benefits of various um kinds. So um I don't want to deter people from getting healthcare or things like that, but I just do think that um people need to just really think about the types of benefits that they look to to get. And um knowing that it is state specific, um I think that there can be a lot of resources. Like in New York, there's a great immigration center there. Um and you know, there can and same in San Francisco and then the Irish um coalition, it's the coalition of Irish immigration centers has a lot of information about the different centers you can contact them and they like the one here in Chicago even though it's in Chicago Illinois it has jurisdiction over a lot of the Midwest so I would just encourage people to try to you know get some specific info for their situation depending on where they are yeah yeah totally all right well that I know that's a tricky one but um I definitely wanted to bring that up especially just given the, the current climate um so where can people find you we've we've been chatting for over an hour now i can't believe it i mean oh time flies <laughs> um yeah and thanks for having me on i was really excited when you got in touch because i have been listening to your podcast and seeing you know all your social media and i just love how genuine and positive you are and real as well and i think that that's really important that people see that too um so thank you for the opportunity. But I'm on, so my I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, it, and my username is US Visa Lawyer. Um, and it's the same on Instagram. Um, our website is McEntee Law. Um, we actually we have put put out a newsletter once a month, and people can subscribe to the newsletter online. Um, we've also been writing really frequent blog posts. Um, specifically for. The times in which we're living just kind of in in response to I guess um, how many changes are happening um so hopefully people find those beneficial we do spend a lot of time researching them and putting out that content um as a way to hopefully just give people some guidance because I know there's just a lot of um you know uncertainty and anxiety um so hopefully some of this information helps amazing well thank you so much and this this has been so helpful and that was definitely and um, the idea is to just get people the help and also bring awareness to situations and and to um you know create knowledge around um different things that people have you know perceptions on and the word on the street is not always the truth so um, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so i appreciate it fiona and um yeah thank you so much my pleasure stephanie thanks for having me <laughs>